Welcome to Prevention Is Now. I'm Deb Bonner, preventionist and community advocate for Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault in Springfield, Illinois. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention recognizes sexual violence as a significant public health issue, and it's not just for women. 52.2 million women and 27.6 million men will experience some sort of contact sexual violence in their lifetime. And we know for individuals with disabilities or who identify on the LGBTQ spectrum or are persons of color experience sexual violence at significantly higher rates than other populations. This means everyone is impacted by sexual violence and everyone needs to be involved in its prevention. And one of the prevention strategy recommendations in the CDC's Stop SV technical package, which is something we use at Prairie Center an awful lot, is to change the social norms that protect against violence. So what exactly does changing social norms mean and how do we go about doing it? So joining us is Dr. Laura M. Mercer-Kohler, a behavioral scientist with the Division of Violence Prevention at the CDC. So Dr. Kohler, thank you for joining us. We've talked about social norms before on this program, and we've never really, I don't think going back, given a really good definition of what a social norm actually is. So what is a social norm? Well, thank you so much for having me today. I'm happy to talk a little bit more about social norms and how it impacts sexual violence prevention. So social norms themselves refer to values, beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors that are shared by a group of people. These are often based on what people believe to be normal, typical, or appropriate. So social norms can function as unspoken rules or guidelines for how people behave and for how people are expected to behave. So people generally follow social norms because they want to fit in with the people around them. So how is a social norm going to be different than, like, say, we hear the term narrative a lot. So how are we going to differentiate between the two, or or are they the same? So social norms and narratives are often confused. Narratives are stories that groups tell to understand how the world works, why problems occur, and who is responsible for solving them. This differs from social norms, which are often unspoken and form the foundation for what people believe to be normal. For example, a survivor's story about a sexual violence experience is a narrative, helping others understand how it happened, why it could have occurred, and how to stop it from happening again or to anyone else. On the other hand, one possible social norm for this experience could be the belief that, well, It was her or his or their fault. Narratives help provide context. Social norms lay the groundwork for helping us form what we accept as normal or not normal. So how are social norms going to be established then? Do they, are they growing out of this narrative or do they just kind of evolve on their own? And typically how long does it take for a social norm to take hold? So as I mentioned a little earlier, social norms are based on what people believe to be normal typical, inappropriate. So they're unspoken rules. In a really practical example, as a child, you may believe or hold a social norm that everyone makes their bed every single day. You see your parents do it, you see your siblings do it, and you see your grandparents do it. There wasn't a set time that norm had to be reinforced or held true. Maybe it was as soon as you could walk, you were mimicking making the bed, or maybe as soon as you got into a big kid bed, you held that norm. In your worldview as a child, making your bed every day is normal, 
typical and appropriate behavior. So then the real question comes when one seeks to change a social norm. So how does that happen? So we go back to our example of making a bed. Maybe that happens as soon as a child tested boundaries and realized, wait, I have a choice and it's okay not to make my bed. Or maybe for another child, it isn't until they talk about it with their friends and realize, wait, you don't make your bed every day? Then you have the question, if you have to make your bed every day, it may not be until you move out of your childhood home that you realize, wait, I don't have to make my bed. This very much is a simplified example with little consequences, but one that illustrates the concept. As a child, making your bed may really affect you and possibly your family. So when we talk about changing sexual violence perpetration behaviors, that's when it starts to get complex. But we can use this example to help people understand why social norms are so important and why changing them can make significant impact. When it comes to sexual violence, the consequences vary depending on if you're a perpetrator, a victim, or a bystander. Moreover, there are more implications about what that may mean and what actions you may take. For example, preventing rape may look different from preventing sexual harassment. So if we talk about prevention and changing norms around sexual violence, complex factors are at play. You could support victims and use inclusive language as important steps. In a study of sexual violence in the media, we discussed how framing sexual violence and using our sexual violence media guide language suggestions can work to improve thinking and perceptions in influencing norms. For example, changing language to say sexual assault versus a sex scandal changes how people perceive what occurred and may help prevent victim blaming. Now, the Montana Institute, which the CDC has linked on their veto violence webpage, they talk a lot about science of the positive and the spirit science action return cycle. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and how it works? So I don't want to speak on behalf of the Montana Institute and their work. And I will say that the science of the positive involves an understanding of how descriptive norms or what people believe people actually do in a specific situation work. So research has shown that if there's a mismatch between the descriptive norm belief and actual behavior, there is a potential to correct that belief when the actual behavior is showing the behavior that is intended. So this has led to health campaigns that emphasize what reality is versus what it's perceived to be. And this research has also shown that this can lead to positive behavior change. So an example that I can give is from Michigan State University, who has led very successful social norms campaigns for the past 15 years. In a recent campaign poster encouraging healthy behavior, they reported that during Halloween, 93% of Michigan State University students watch out for their friends to make sure they stay safe. So by emphasizing this majority behavior, they're encouraging that watching out for friends or being a bystander is normal. 
So there are some really great examples of social norms campaigns, you know, like the one for Michigan that have had very positive results. But when we go back and we look at long-term results, there don't seem to be many, that the results are very short-lived, barring no or limited follow-up. So why are the results for social norm campaigns not lasting longer? So this is a great question. And let's talk for a minute about this perception that social norms campaigns have no lasting effect. So would you consider it fair to say that if you've been drinking, having a designated driver is a social norm? Yes. So while this term from the Harvard Alcohol Project came in 1988 from the Center for Health Communication, launched the U.S. designated driver campaign. This was part of a comprehensive effort to prevent alcohol-related traffic fatalities and injuries. So the designated driver, or DD concept, came from Scandinavia. The project sought to use Hollywood to encourage placement of storylines where there were designated drivers and use traditional public service announcements to enhance these messages. This was intended to model a new social norm. So popular shows at the time like Cheers, Dallas, and L.A. Law modeled the desired designated driving behaviors. So this campaign continued to grow. And at the same time, Mothers Against Drunk Driving and other advocates were working to change policies. So four years prior, in 1984, the minimum drinking age of 21 years old was signed into federal law. Two years after the U.S. designated driver campaign started in 1990, the Supreme Court held that sobriety checkpoints were legal. So let's revisit this concept of a social norm having long-term effects. The designated driver campaign had a concerted, comprehensive approach to modeling and enforcing a new social norm, not drinking while driving. Evidence from earlier years of the campaign showed increases in use of and being a DD. At the same time, there were decreases in traffic fatalities. Together, these all suggest that the DD campaign was an important component and thus reaching the goal of the campaign to create a new social norm. So like many health campaigns, sexual violence is complex. Preventing sexual violence takes a comprehensive approach, which a social norms campaign may be one very effective tool to get at one part of the approach. Our DVP Stop Sexual Violence Technical Package highlights the strategy of promoting social norms that protect against violence, and this includes bystander approaches and mobilizing men and boys as allies. So, for example, a bystander may be able to successfully intervene when a person tells an off-color sexual joke by saying, that's not appropriate, and thus supporting that sexual jokes are not acceptable. The success of such strategies are growing as more research is conducted, more communities implement and adapt these strategies, and more evaluation data are being generated. But I think you could argue if you went back to your designated driver, I mean, it wasn't a one campaign. I mean, that you were seeing... Like you said, in popular TV shows, there were radio PSAs, even bars were enforcing that idea that uh, if you were the DD, you could, you know, drink free soda all night or, or whatever. So I guess my question is, is that when we do these social norms campaigns, it can't be a one and done approach that you have to keep reinforcing the message, correct? the campaign messages as campaign components is thinking more holistically about what a campaign is 
And a campaign is not just something that you may run for one season, although it could be. A campaign may have multiple components to it as well. So part of this is how you define a campaign and placing that campaign in a comprehensive approach to preventing sexual violence. In our technical package, we really, we really talk about reaching all levels of the social ecological model, as in the individual, the relational, the community, and the societal. And so a campaign is just one aspect of that comprehensive approach. So how would a social norms campaign work, particularly as we're looking at sexual violence? I mean, what are the steps? How, how do we look about reaching these different parts of the socio-ecological uh, model? And is there a magic amount of time or does it just, do you just keep at it till it becomes so ingrained that it is second nature for society? So we need to really grow the evidence for social norms, sexual violence prevention campaigns. So CDC provides the basic steps on our veto violence website, which is vetoviolence.cdc.gov. And these basic steps are one, describe the problem, two, collect data and identify social norms, three, develop a strategy, four, develop and test messages and materials, five, disseminate messages and materials, and six, monitor activities and evaluate outcomes. So while these are the basic steps, it's really important that what we put into this is often what we get out of it. So this includes investments of time and money. So I encourage anyone who's interested to go to CDC's Veto Violence website and review our materials and look at the additional resources for more information. Going back to the socio-ecological model, individual relationship, community, societal. What would be some examples of social norm change approaches for each of those levels? So this is a great question. And, you know, let's take this a bit out of order to match up to your social norms campaign idea. So let's consider that we're implementing a social norms campaign in a school setting to address sexual harassment. The campaign, as it's aimed at the school, would be at the community level. An individual student who saw the campaign might question their own behavior. Telling a dirty joke could be sexual harassment. I wonder if I should stop. So the campaign is affecting an individual. At the same time, maybe a group of students are chatting and someone starts telling a dirty joke and then another friend says, hey, stop, that's sexual harassment. Now the campaign is having impacts on the relational level between friends. So let's say parents and school board members have become aware of the campaign and its messages. So now these groups are working to revisit the educational policy around sexual harassment, the process of how it's handled and changes are made. So now the campaign has led to policy level or societal impacts that affect all schools. So this is a simplified example, but it shows how a social norms campaign can impact all levels of society. This is social ecological model. And it's important to recognize and examine how campaigns can and will reach these different layers of society and their impact. Is it possible just to change one level of the social ecological model and have it be impactful without changing all the other levels? Or do you really have to hit every level for uh, a social norm to take hold? So I think this goes back to what is your frame of reference and your perspective? Because obviously an individual can change their beliefs attitudes and behaviors around a social norm. And for us in public health, we're concerned about obviously that, the public health. 
and would like to see the community or policy or society level changes that are taking place. So we are just about out of time. And I know we've really just kind of scratched the surface on that. So where could people go to find out more about social norm changes? So like I mentioned earlier, CDC's Veto Violence has a great overview of social norms resources, their development, application, and evaluation. Other resources you may want to include in social norms campaign work for violence prevention are your local public health departments, local colleges and university communication and public health faculty, and even health systems, marketing and communications departments, as well as organizations such as yours. Well, Dr. Collard, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciated your input. Thank you so much for having me today. And we will put all of those links that you just mentioned in the description for this podcast. This has been Prevention Is Now. I'm Deb Bonner, preventionist and community advocate for Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault. If you'd like more information or have questions about this program, you may call our offices at 217-744-2560 or email me at dbonner at prairiecasa.org. Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault supports children and adult survivors of sexual violence through counseling and legal and medical advocacy in 11 central Illinois counties. Prairie Center offers coaching boys into men for male high school and college athletes, athletes as leaders for female high school and college athletes, bringing in the bystander training for college campuses, and sexual harassment prevention training for businesses and organizations in our area. Our main office is located in Springfield, Illinois, with satellite offices in Jacksonville and Taylorville, Illinois. And you can find out more about our services at our website at prairiecasa.org. This program is supported by a grant from the Illinois Department of Public Health and the Illinois Coalition Against Sexual Assault. Points of view or opinions contained in this program are those of Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault and our guests and do not necessarily reflect the official positions or policies of these grantors. Thank you for listening.